Hey listeners, this is Austin with Horror Movie Club. A quick announcement before this week's Tremors episode. We had a technical error when recording this episode, so you're likely going to notice some white noise and inferior sound quality from my audio. I'd like to blame this on a combination of graboids and ass blasters, but nonetheless, I just wanted to apologize to everyone and hope you'll still enjoy the discussion. Thanks again for tuning in. Listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about Tremors from 1990. Directed by Ron Underwood, written by S.S. Wilson, Brent Maddock, and Ron Underwood. Starring Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, and Finn Carter. And in this movie, two handymen in an isolated desert town band together with the locals in a fight against mysterious underground monsters. If you're new to the show, we are going to be talking about background info on this movie for the first 15 to 20 minutes. We will keep that spoiler free. But after we take our little break and play our transition music, that's when we're getting into spoiler territory, and it's time to duck out if you haven't seen this movie. This is a request from Chris and Manny. Thank you guys for requesting this, and we're sorry it took us so long to get to this one. I feel like Manny requested this ages ago. Uh, And Ashwin, you've seen this before, right? Yeah, I think I saw this back in the 90s, but I didn't remember a lot of it, and I think I maybe only saw it like uh, by like I, my brother might have been watching it at some point. I might have like kind of just sneaked around and saw glimpses of it. So I yeah, I felt like well, this was kind of watching it for the first time uh, for me. What about you? Great. Um, I had seen it maybe ten years ago. Was probably the last time I saw it. Oh, that's actually pretty recent. I'm surprised. Maybe like ten or twelve. Yeah, a um, a group of our friends, including I think Stephen Markley was there, or at least it was in the house he lived in. See. Uh, Steven's guest spot on our episode on Misery. Um, I don't know if you were ever at that house they used to all live in together, Ashwin. That might have been before your time. I think so. Was it in uh, Lincoln Park or Lakeview? Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you guys had like a jam set up in the basement, right? Like yes, we did. Oh, yeah. You jammed with us there before. Yeah, yeah. I think I visited there once or twice. Okay. Well, anyway, listeners, me and this group of people, uh, we all huddled together and watched I think the first four movies in this franchise in a day. Oh my God. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And this is a rare experience for me because I usually don't have much knowledge of these franchises. I, I, I do one and done. I don't go deep into a franchise typically, but I'm pretty sure I've seen the first four of these. What inspired you guys to binge this franchise? I don't know whose idea it was. It was probably Joseph or somebody or maybe <laughs> Elliot. Wow, yeah, that's so random. Like, this, yeah, wouldn't have been the one I would have guessed uh, that you would have, like, ripped through. They're surprisingly entertaining as they keep going. I can't speak to anything after Tremors 4, The Legend Begins from 2004, but uh, I think there's one stinker in there, but for the most part, they're pretty good. Yeah, and so there's a total of five films and then, like, a TV franchise, I think? There are seven films. There's Tremors from 1990. Tremors 2 Aftershocks from 96, Tremors 3 Back to Perfection from 2001, Tremors 4 The Legend Begins from 2004, Tremors 5 Bloodlines from 2015, Tremors A Cold Day in Hell from 2018, Tremors Shrieker Island from 2020, and then there is a 2003 television series. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, man. And then there's a 2016 television series that almost happened. They even shot a pilot with Kevin Bacon reprising his role for the first time in the franchise. But it never aired. Sci-fi uh, passed on it. It was yeah. developed by Universal and Blumhouse. I, I can't believe nothing ever happened. I know. That was so surprising. That's just like sitting out there and no one uh, has access to it. So odd. Now, I mean, things get stuck in development hell and it happens. But to have Universal and Blumhouse behind it and to have shot a pilot with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. It's yeah. so weird. That's some big names. Uh, that is really weird. I, I'm sure, like, somehow it's going to come out, right? Like, it's either going to get crowdfunded or some platform will pick it up and stream it, right? 
I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy something like that could sit on the shelf. Um, right. Tone-wise, like, uh, does it stay consistent through it, or, like, does the tone change over the years? From my memory, the tone stays consistent but gets more hammy. Like, it gets a bit more over-the-top and comedic. But I think it's a natural evolution from where this one started. And Bacon, uh, he's only in the first one, right? He didn't do any other he's, ones? He's only in the first one. Okay. Fred Ward, his buddy Earl, is in the second one. But then Michael Gross, who is the survivalist prepper guy from this movie, he becomes the face of the franchise. He's in all of them. He's, he ends up being a great lead. Does, does uh, his wife Reba stick around? I don't think so, but I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine she would have. Uh, yeah, she might have been like, fuck that shit. Out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it seemed like. Because none of, of them were. Re- I think Tremors 2 had a very minor theatrical release, mm-hmm. but these are all direct to video sequels. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. What a, what a. I mean, it seems like it's like. That's a legacy, like 20, 30 years of, of these movies. Yeah, it's wild, man. I thought they stopped it at 2000, in 2004. I was surprised to see there were three more of them in a TV series. Right. Are you going to, do you think you'll catch up on the more recent ones? Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe with you someday. All right. Sounds good. Sequel September. It's probably going to be a while. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It wouldn't be a bad choice for a sequel September. Right. Let's keep that one in the back pocket. Ron Underwood, the director, this is his first feature film and he'd go on to direct films like City Slickers and Mighty Joe Young. And he's done a lot of TV but just directing like one or two episodes here or there of a wide variety of shows. Right. Like he didn't um, really have his own uh, like big show or anything, right? Yeah. He never seemed to really have his own thing, but he's he's all over them. I mean, he's got crazy IMDb credits, but it's just like two episodes of this, three episodes of that, one episode of this. Right. Right. So kind of interesting. He, but he won a Peabody Award for um, an animated TV movie, Mouse on a Motorcycle, and a daytime Emmy for its sequel, Runaway Ralph. Wow. Never heard of those, yeah. did you, have you? Uh, they looked a little bit familiar. I think they were children's stories adapted for the, for the small screen. Big uh, City Slickers fan? I never saw City Slickers. Oh, that was like one of those classic uh, Billy Crystal movies from the early 90s. Yeah, it feels like something I should see. Actually, maybe I've seen it. I just don't remember it. Right. And then, um, I don't think he did any of the other Tremors, right? Ron Underwood? No, I don't think he was involved, but S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock, they really uh, took up the mantle, and and they were involved in all the rest. I think they each directed one or two and had some writing on on each of them, so they're involved in a good chunk of the rest of them. Got it. Yeah, I'm surprised they never brought Ron Underwood back, uh, just like, you know, I mean, as, as the original, the OG director on this film. Yeah, I'm not sure what. Maybe he just wasn't interested. Um, yeah. But speaking of Maddock and Wilson, they uh, they wrote the script for Short Circuit, and that's kind of what I th- assume gave them the ability to shop around their script for Tremors. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that one in years. Have you? I That's another hole for me. I don't think I've ever sh- seen Short Circuit. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. I got a late 80s, early 90s week spot. Sure. <laughs> it's never too late to jump yeah, back in. Yeah, right? Yeah, I think they also uh, wrote Wild Wild West, which has been in the news recently. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but not all the way through. Why has that been in the news? Oh, there was recently an interview with Will Smith, and someone asked him what like the worst film he's done is, and that was the one he name-dropped. Which... <laughs> I feel like I've got to watch that one start to finish someday. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very forgettable, and uh, yeah, not, not a surprise that he picked that one. Sure. Uh, this movie had a budget of $10 million and a box office of $16.7 million domestically. I don't have any international numbers, so maybe it wasn't released in theaters outside the U.S. and Canada. I'm not sure. Um, either way, that's not a really great return. The writers blamed poor promotion and a bad trailer. However, this is supposedly one of the most rented films of 1990. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely went on to become a cult classic. Right, yeah, yeah, upon its VHS release. Um, yeah, that, 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 I was really surprised to see that. And it, it sounds like maybe the production or the release date also got pushed back once or twice, so that also might have uh, messed with the, the timing there. This is close to Gremlins too, right, that we just talked about? 
Um, I don't remember the exact date for either of these movies, actually, but yeah, they're both 1990. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. Like, I, I thought this one would have killed it in theaters uh, with the premise and, like, the star power, but... It is surprising. I went and watched the trailer, and it is a little goofy. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't think they quite knew how to market this movie, or they, they didn't do it very well. It, it, it isn't, like, your standard uh, kind of horror film or even, like... W- w- what genre is this? Like, creature feature or something? Yeah, I mean, it's a monster movie and a horror comedy, so I think people hadn't really figured out I feel like it took until, I don't know, man, late 90s, early 2000s before people were like, oh, yeah, horror comedies are a thing and they work. (laughs) Not that there weren't any, but you always, I feel like they're always talked about as like a real unique thing back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah, right, right. They're kind of like more one-offs. And and I think this one kind of has uh, a much different tone in terms of like it kind of, uh, it's taking place like in, in a desert and like daytime. It's kind of got like a Western feel to it. So I, I just feel like this was a very unique film probably for that time. Yeah, yeah, and they, they marketed it. I mean, it's kind of a silly movie in a sense, but they marketed it, or at least in that trailer, it looked sillier than it actually is. So that may have been a disservice. At least the writers thought so. You sure it isn't like just watching a 90s trailer? Like, don't they all look silly at this point? It's a little hard to tell because you can't... <laughs> they do all look a little bit silly, so it's hard to parse out what's... Typical 90s silliness and what's actually kind of just a bad trailer and a misleading one. Do they have the voiceover guy? Oh, yeah, that that guy does it. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I'll check that out. It's, it's worth watching? Sure, sure. I mean, if anything, just to give you make you think a little bit about whether or not it's good or bad or just 90s. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, critics score of 86% and a user score of 75, which is surprising. I would have thought that would have been flipped. I know. I think we've been like seeing a, a stream of movies lately where the critic response, uh, the critic score is higher than the audience score, which seems weird for horror films. It seems it doesn't seem weird to me for like an A twenty four, like super depressing slow burn, but for I feel like we've seen it a couple times for pretty fun movies. Like Tremors is a popcorn movie. I'll go ahead and say it now, and so it's surprising to see the critic score be higher than the user score. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Um, This was originally rated R and then dialed back to PG-13 by cutting a few F-bombs or altering a few F-bombs in the movie. Ashwin, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you caught the term Mother Humper being thrown around in this movie. (laughs) I did. Was that supposed to be something else? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At first I was like, wait, am I watching an edited version or something? But then they said shit and... yeah. Uh, so I went back and looked at the background info on this movie and found that out. So that, that kind of makes sense in hindsight. Yeah. But that's another mystery because, like, you know, they, they, they went as far as, you know, editing it down and making it more PG-13, which should have made it an even bigger success. So it's, it's, it's surprising that the uh, box office was a return for a PG-13 horror film here. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um... This was shot by Alexander Gruzninski, who also shot other 90s cult classics like The Craft and Angus. Did you ever see that one? Angus. No, I don't think I did. Oh, man, it was so good. Ooh, I'm just realizing that the girl from Angus and the little girl in Tremors are both the girl from Jurassic Park, whose name I did not write down. Oh, no kidding. The one on the pogo stick in this one? Yeah, that's her. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, some people may also recognize uh, Victor Wong, who plays, oh, I can't remember his full name, but his Walter. last name is, Walter. yeah, Walter, Walter. Is it Walter Chang? I think so. He's also the grandpa from Three Ninjas. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Man, a lot of 90s fame here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was in Big Trouble in Little China as well. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, and you know... I didn't really realize it until I sat down to watch this movie, but Kevin Bacon's actually in a lot of horror movies. This, Hollow Man, what else? Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah, right, I forgot. Stir of Echoes, The Darkness, Flatliners. There are a couple other I hadn't really heard of. Huh, that's cool. Is he Is he still, like, a pretty active actor? I think think so man I, he was in one horror movie that came out in 2020 i believe i can't remember the name of it mm, okay cool so i think he's still active yeah yeah that's that's awesome 
which is probably one of the things that helps play when playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon and that his <laughs> career spans so many decades. Is that the game? I thought it was Seven Degrees. Is it Six Degrees? It's Six Degrees. Oh, man, I've been doing Seven this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Adding in an extra person. You're making it more hard on yourself. <laughs> or wait, no, it's easier. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's easier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that game was invented by three college students in 1994, and studies have been done on this. And Kevin Bacon isn't really the best actor to use as far as being like at the center of the cinematic universe. Yeah, he seems like a really random pick. I don't know how that ever happened. Yeah, I don't really know either. I think they just thought he was in a wide variety of movies, but I've seen a few names tossed around that are probably better choices. Mm-hmm. Like easier to do. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, Angelina Jolie. Um, one time I saw Donald uh, Sutherland, oh, okay. which he's a really good one because he's like got fifty years probably of yeah. films beneath his belt. Right, right. Yeah, he's in so much movies. Yep. So you can connect him to actors of any generation almost. Right. Uh, let's see, man. Any other background on this movie? Uh, um, two other things. I, I'm really surprised. You didn't mention Amalgamated Dynamics Incorporated. <laughs> wow, man. I was like, oh, I'm boring, Ashman, with all this effect stuff, so I won't even read my I know, usually amalgamated. you do. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, take this one. Oh, that's all. I thought you'd take it from there. <laughs> but yeah, they, they're the people behind, uh, they did the effects on this one. They're behind Starship Troopers, Alien 3, and the rest of the aliens after that. Uh, Hollow Man, Spider-Man 2. So it seems like they've done a lot of like the big films over the last few decades. They've done a lot of films. Yeah, they've got a pretty big filmography. Um, Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis are the co-owners of that corporation. And uh, there were many names listed on the Creature Crew for the Sandworms, but for the Graboids, rather. Um, but one of those notable names is Howard Berger, who is the B and KNB. Nice. Bringing it back to those acronyms. There um, I go again. Yeah, and then uh, the last thing, yeah, you mentioned graboids. Um, I guess there's a whole like um, there's a whole like Wikipedia thing about like graboids, their life cycle, like uh, this whole like fictional creature, like how it uh, matures and stuff, and what their uh, life plan looks like. And then there's something called an ass blaster. Do you know about this? <laughs> I think I vaguely remember that from like three or four. Yeah, I think I guess that's what like gives uh, the graboids like birth or something. Or I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting that this whole kind of uh, species has been made up and like a life cycle kind of like planned out and stuff. It's fascinating. Dude, there's like a whole new level of horror movie nerddom for the people who are familiar with the life cycles of like the xenomorph and oh, the graboids. Really? <laughs> it's like wow. you get online and you can tell there's people who are like spending a lot of time on this and they've mapped it all out from yeah. the snippets revealed in the films and it's it's next level holy shit i didn't, yeah that's so interesting because I, I feel like uh until i rewatched this just recently i didn't even realize graboids were a thing i mean they're definitely not on par with like the xenomorph predators gremlins uh critters and like the, those types of uh monsters right in terms of their recognizability yeah and, and like cultural relevance i'd say they're more cultural relevant culturally relevant than critters grab graboids yeah, sure. Interesting. So you think like if you went to like a random street, like found a person and like mentioned critters versus graboids, you're more likely to find someone who knows what a graboid is? Yeah. Interesting. Let's do a, let's start a YouTube channel and do a like person on the street interview yeah. video. Sure. And then that'll be the last thing we ever do. Probably because the second you ask someone if they know what a graboid is. I feel like you might get arrested or something. That's just... a, yeah, that's a pretty creepy thing to approach a stranger <laughs> yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, I can see How that about going a wrong. Critter. <laughs> it's just... uh, uh, okay, man. Those okay. were your things. Anything else? No, you got to know how connected for us. I do. Our friend Alex connects every movie to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so go check that out if you're in the area. And this is a rare movie for us to cover because Alex has not only seen this movie, but really likes it. Hey, that's great. Not being a fan of horror movies, this is unusual for him. Mm-hmm. But Alex says Tremors is a Western-themed horror comedy film starring Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, and Finn Carter. It also marks the film acting debut for prolific singer-songwriter Reba McIntyre. In her music career, Reba has released over 30 records, 
received 85 major music awards and is widely considered the queen of country music. In 2008, she released her 25th album titled Reba Duets, which featured appearances by Kelly Clarkson, Kenny Chesney, Justin Timberlake, among others. It was the first record for Reba to debut at number one on the Billboard 200, and this success helped launch her Two Worlds, Two Voices co-headlining tour with Kelly Clarkson, hitting 39 stops throughout North America and Canada. The first show on this tour was the Nutter Center at Wright State University, located in Fairborn, Ohio. Nice. Oh, I thought I thought you were about to say Kelly Clarkson's from Ohio, but I, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, that's that's awesome. Are you are you a big Reba fan? No, no, sir. I I do not care for pretty much any country music except really old stuff like Johnny Cash and maybe New Taylor Swift's. Oh, uh, sure, sure, yeah, I can, I can get on board for some new Taylor Swift. How about you? Uh, yeah, same, I, I like Johnny Cash and like the older country stuff. New country music's kind of boring, and yeah, even Taylor Swift, I don't feel like she's really country anymore. Probably more No, like I didn't, I don't think I really enjoyed anything she did in the country genre. Yeah, right. Uh, no, same, uh, the only thing I know Reba from is like, there's a TV show, I think, that she was doing for a while, and just kind of caught that a few times. Yeah, yeah, I don't honestly even know if I... Know a song by her. I'm embarrassed to say. Did she do like one of the NFL songs one season? I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like I've seen her in an NFL commercial. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird because I, I mean, she's obviously a huge star, but yeah, I can't name a song by her either. I think where sports and country music overlap is like the weakest <laughs> of our weak spots when it comes to knowledge. That's our biggest dark zone. <laughs> Wait till we start We're that just podcast. feeling around in the dark here. Yeah, exactly. Told me. Pretty sure she played a banjo at the intro to hockey. <laughs> I think you're onto something there. Yeah, sounds sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, buddy, are you ready to uh, start spoiling this movie? Walk through the plot and review it. Yep, let's do it. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, shoot. You know what? Can you hold on one second? I think I might need to hang up and call you back. My pants are stuck on my podcasting stand or something. I think I need to figure this out. I can't really move. Oh, man. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Okay, I'll call you right back. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, buddy, I'm back. Hey, you get you get your pants situation sorted out? Yeah, man, I just pop those puppies right off, and I'm good to go here. Nice, hanging out in your tidy whities Just hanging out in that jock strap from <laughs> jock Nightmare on Elm Street 2 episode. <laughs> nice, nice. It's finally back. <laughs> we finally brought it back. Yeah. It's good. Uh, was there any reason in this movie for that scene to happen other than for us to see Rhonda in her underwear? I mean, do you need a reason beyond that? <laughs> 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 no, yeah, it it is funny because I, I guess they didn't like really rehearse that, and they just wanted that to be like live and her reaction to it being live and stuff. Off um, the cuff. Yeah, yeah. No I, pun intended. <laughs> I think in nineties nineties movies, uh, maybe there was that pressure to like always like show some skin or something. Yeah, sure, sure. But yeah, I, it, I feel like this sits alongside Alien for most random and unnecessary underwear <laughs> shot. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yep. Really random. Okay. Well, um, backing things up, the film begins with two handymen, Earl and Valentine, lamenting their current state in life, the work they have to do for low pay, etc., etc. They've got a charming little relationship here. Earl gets on Valentine for never having a plan and always dating women with looks but no intelligence. Uh, And I like the dynamic between these two characters and the chemistry between these two actors. How did you feel about this, Ash? Me too. The the camaraderie between them felt very natural, and I love like the back and forth and like what they're struggling with, and uh, the idea of like kind of getting out of the small town and like kind of fed up with their jobs. It just felt really real and like relatable. Yeah, and the dialogue here is a bit exposition heavy. It's just kind of like you're this type of guy, and I'm this type of guy, and this is like obvious what we're setting you up for later in the story. But I felt like the dialogue still flowed fairly naturally and. A largely credit to these actors too. It just 
it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like the exposition drop that it was. Right. Yeah, it didn't. Because it was just like two guys uh, doing their stuff, like chatting over it, right? Yeah. 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 Um, they meet a seismology student in the area named Rhonda, who is studying seismological activity, and they find out that she's been recording some strange findings. Ashwin, it struck me that this seems like a bit of a 90s trope where somebody has that sunscreen all over just their nose, like <laughs> thick white so that their whole nose is white. Yeah, you don't see that anymore, right? I don't think so. And did anyone ever actually do that in real life? I think I only saw that in movies and like only 90s movies. Yeah, um, feels um, like a 90s trope. Do you think uh, it, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with like cocaine, right? Like white stuff on your nose. It's not like a, <laughs> yeah. a 90s joke about like, uh, your nose is all white, like you got cocaine on it or something. Maybe it was like an in joke for, for the writers and producers yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, so yeah, Earl and Val, they finally decide they're fed up with this town. The town is called Perfection. And when they hit the road to finally leave town for good, they find a dead body up on a telephone pole. They discover that this guy died of dehydration, which is odd because that takes multiple days. So this guy died under very odd circumstances. They also, in town, find some slaughtered livestock as well as the farmer who owned the livestock. His head is found half buried in the ground. They warn the locals that there's a murderer on the loose and they try to head out of town to get help only to find the way to be blocked by a rock slide. Some dead construction workers... And when they get back town, back to town, they find a worm-like creature stuck to the bottom of their vehicle. It's it's been severed and killed. Um, and this is all like kind of peaking your interest, but there's some comedy peppered in along the way. Yeah, I think like their I like reactions. A, I like their reactions. There's a Kevin Bacon quote where he's like, "What's the hell's going on? I mean, what the hell's going on?" <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah not, in keeping with the show, not funny when I do it, but funny when Kevin Bacon It was did funny it. when he did it. That was, that was like spot on. That was great. He, uh, he's a great character. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, his, his, his character is great in this. Um, and yeah, I, I love like kind of how like it starts very mysterious, like the, the guy who's dehydrated and then like we kind of get glimpses of like the, the farm and then like those construction workers, like we see something pulling him and then like that thing that's attached to the car. Like it's just like incremental like building up which which i thought was really smart yeah yeah well done um so the road's blocked but they try to ride to the next town on horses but here they're finally confronted by uh our monster it is a giant sandworm that they kind of accidentally kill when they fall down into a cement aqueduct and it sprints directly at them and bumps its head on the cement wall of the aqueduct and kills itself they reunite with Rhonda, the seismologist, whose readings indicate that there are three other sandworms in the area, and the three of them realize the worms are hearing their vibrations from, from underground. They barely escape and make it back to town, where they hole up with some of the locals in Chang's Market, again played by Victor Wong, um, and they talk about their plan of action and, and what they need to do to get help and get out of town. Unfortunately, the phone lines are also down. Hey, going back to the monsters, uh, what, what have you thought of, like, the reveals so far of, like, what they look like? I think it's pretty good. We get, like, a bit of a soft reveal at first with the thing stuck under their car. We assume that that's the size of the monster and then later learn that's just one of the tentacle grabber things that comes out of its mouth and it's actually much bigger. Yeah, I, I think those first few scenes, we're only seeing those tentacle things. And at first I was, like, really disappointed, like, oh, they're only that big. Because there's also that doctor and his wife that get, like, kind of sucked underground, right? In right, the station yeah. Wagon. And yeah, so, yeah I like that scene out. That was a cool scene. Yeah, but I was totally under the impression that, like, oh, man, these these are actually like, pretty small and they look kind of like sock puppets. Um, but then, yeah, that, that scene where, like, they, they kill one accidentally, then you see, like, the huge one, and that, that made me pretty happy that, oh, cool, they, they are, like, a bigger tremor thing. I think they look pretty good. How do you feel? Um, they, yeah, what we see is good. I kind of feel like um, they might have taken a shortcut here in terms of, like, details. Um, like, like, the, like, the concept's cool. You have this big monster that has, like, these three tentacles that come out of its mouth. But uh, I don't feel like going to the detail, like, they're not, like, really cool, like, teeth or anything. Or, um, 
uh, like other cool like distinct features. Uh, it's kind of like a, a blob in a way, but I, sure. I don't know. Also, it, like lives underground, so maybe that's not. It's not meant to be like totally, um, like a like have very unique parts or something. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I, I think it, for the most part, looks really good. It could certainly look much worse, but at the same time, it's not blowing me away. Yeah. But we're also on the heels of movies like Aliens and, and Predator and Gremlins, so... Right. Which are, So the the yeah. bar is high. Yeah, exactly. It's like this, that's such, such a high, uh, high bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. But but like um, the, the, the blood and like everything, that, that was kind of cool. Yeah, but, it's a little bit of like goopy and splattery at first. Right. Um, which I kind of like. I wish they had like gone harder with through the rest of the movie. Right. Yeah. Same. So everyone's holed up in in Chang's market. The worms soon attack. They suck Chang underground. Um, the rest of the crew flees the market and gets onto the roofs of some of the town's buildings. They try to determine the best course of action using Rhonda's seismology knowledge, uh, as well as residents Bert and Heather. They they use their firepower and general prepper equipment and mentality these two are kind of like the stereotypical doomsday prepper which is actually interesting to see in a movie from 1990 because i think that's become more of a stereotype in like the post uh y2k world i know i know this part like felt so timely almost like they, they, we were like so many headlines about like people like this right like they're they're pretty prevalent today yeah yeah and i um it was interesting they and maybe it's for the better. They didn't really put a whole lot of the stereotypes of this crew, of this like part of the population, onto Bert and Heather, which is maybe kind of smart because it, it keeps Bert and Heather likable and in the mix and not not somebody to just be written off. Oh, like you think in modern times, like they would have gone like more extreme with these characters and like maybe made them more polarizing. Yeah, I think they would have, like, poked fun at that segment of the population a bit more. Um, depending on the movie's angle. Like, it could have either done that or made them, like, the badasses who, like, were there to save the day. Um, and, like, the only smart characters. But, so I was a little disappointed they didn't do more with that and play with that theme. But at the same time, maybe it, it worked out for the best. Yeah, I, I wonder if they had done that, like, how forced it or, like, heavy-handed it might have felt. Like, maybe it's, like, trying to, um, like, because I, I feel like in this way, it almost kind of, all the characters were kind of balanced in a way. I, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. every two main characters, but by not, like, going too far deep in any of these other characters, it kind of um, just kind of set them up as, like, a strong, like, supporting cast that's kind of, like, well-rounded versus diving too deep into one of them. Sure, yeah, and I think that is a good point because the cast here is really great and all the characters are are interesting and you care about what happens and uh, it's it's a pretty charming cast of characters here. Yeah, and it's, it's such a really interesting mix. Like, you got this uh, really smart graduate student, you got these, like, two guys who are, you know, yeah, kind of just, like, trying to get out of there. You got, like, these, uh, the, the two you mentioned uh, who are, yeah, these, like, anti-government, like, weapon-hounding people than the convenience store owner. It's just like, yeah, it's like, you couldn't ask for like a more like eclectic, diverse kind of mix here. Yeah, uh, I agree. One area where they did, I feel like, poke a slight bit of fun at them. I know we've talked about in the past how like sometimes these people seem to want the apocalypse to come. Like <laughs> they're that ready for it. Yeah. Um, he, Bert, at one point says like, if all goes to shit, I'm just going to like walk out there with one of these bombs and let them take me. Right. And his wife goes, good Lord, honey. <laughs> Just kind of a funny moment. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love that dialogue. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so Bert and Heather, speaking of them, managed to kill one of the worms with heavy pi- firepower in their underground bump- bunker. Um, Valentine manages to commandeer some heavy construction equipment with a trailer affixed to it that they use to make a break for the mountains where the ground is impenetrable rock. The logic here is that the worms aren't strong enough to tip the heavy construction vehicle. However, the worms outsmart our heroes and dig a trap that the construction vehicle gets stuck in. The gang flees to some boulders and tries to go sandworm fishing using some of Bert's homemade bombs for bait. This works for one of the graboids, who explodes into a bunch of sticky gross pieces, but the other graboid wises up and throws the bomb back at them. When all seems lost, Val gets an idea... He sprints for the cliffside where the final graboid pursues him. He throws a bomb 
not at the sandworm, but behind it, where the loud sound causes the graboid to hurry away from the loud explosion and towards the cliffside, where it bursts through the cliffside and falls to its splattery doom. What'd you think of that? That was awesome. That was, that was a great move. Uh, and I, I love like it was like the three of them running and uh, how like, yeah, it came right right up on him. And I think we saw like him at this spot early in the movie too, right? Like doesn't the movie open with him standing in this exact spot? Yeah, I think it kind of opens not only with the two of them at the exact same spot, but I'm pretty sure that Earl lights the lighter for Val or the opposite way around for their cigarette and here one of them lights the lighter for the, the bomb to go off. So it was kind of a fitting uh, way to open and close the book. Yeah, that's really cool uh, circling back to that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like that ending. metaphorical but... book. I know this wasn't based on a book. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought this was a great climax. So it was pretty good. What did you think? I agree. It was pretty fitting. Yeah, and cool to see like the monster kind of like jump out of the sand and just go like flying down. Yeah, and I enjoyed any like splattery ni- splatteriness in this movie. And I think from what I remember, they lean harder into the splatter as the franchise goes on. Oh, okay. Um, Val and Rhonda, by the way, have had this will they or won't they flirty romance through the entire film. Uh, and we finally get a conclusion to that. They kiss, and Earl gives an approving nod of his head that Val has finally found a girl with some brains. And uh, we get the end credits and a song by Reba McIntyre herself. <laughs> yeah, when that song comes on. <laughs> that's great. Oh, yeah. so I guess we have heard a Reba song. Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. true. Now we now we know a Reba song. Yeah, nice. Are you excited for some hockey? <laughs> Sports. <laughs> Sports and dangers. Um, yeah, man. So uh, having not seen this for a couple of decades, what what did you think? And how were your expectations going in? Uh, expectations, I, I think I was expecting like a B-90s movie. Uh, not very smart. Just uh, kind of, you know, like you kind of know the plot. Kevin Bacon in the desert, going to find some... Uh, monsters and it's gonna be kind of campy but I actually thought this was surprisingly good uh, that the plot um, you know is what you think it's gonna be but then they pack a lot of like smart dialogue into it the character mix I was all about uh, it, was, it was cool to see like the characters interacting with each other and kind of like arguing over their different views on how to approach this and it's a nice way to kind of showcase their differences and like how they come up with the plans and even how smart these monsters are and like how they learn and kind of adapt uh, I just feel like they packed way more into this film than I would have expected, and, and it made it like a pretty smart movie at the end of the day. So I was definitely surprised in a good way. What, what about you? Nice, man. Um, I agree with you for the most part. However, I still think it is kind of a dumb B movie. <laughs> really? But it's like a smart, dumb B movie with a $10 million budget. Um, so I, I don't necessarily mean that as an insult, but... Kind of like what we were saying about these preppers. Um, they keep it mostly surface level. But I think that's kind of a strength of the movie. They kind of map things out for you too. Like, oh, here's Kevin Bacon. He never has a plan. And he's always dating girls who aren't the brightest. Well, of course, in the end, he's going to come up with a plan and get with a girl who's the college student studying seismology. So everything's kind of mapped out for you. They don't go too deep into some of the themes. Like they hit on that thing like Earl saying he doesn't have a plan. And they touch on that many times throughout the film, Um, which is just kind of, I appreciate that because there's a theme and there's a through line to the movie, but it's, it's nothing too deep. It's pretty shallow, Um, which I'm fine with, but just, I'm kind of saying Yes, this is still kind of a 90s B-movie, but it it's it does have some brains, not in a depth kind of way, but that it knows what it is and it does the job well. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, it's interesting because uh, I would think like 90s B-movie, like take Gremlins 2, for example. Um, I, see, I hear what you're saying, like they, they set you up with like this idea and like you kind of know the character arc like from A to B because of like some hints they give at the beginning. But I, I thought what might have set this one apart is um, it did, like, the, the growth from, like, starting point to end point of each character felt more natural and less forced, maybe, than I would have expected otherwise. Like, do, do, do you think, uh, like, in, in, like, a shooter movie, like, it would have been more forced, or did you feel like this was also, like, 
uh, it, it felt like unnatural, like how they progressed from uh, who they were at the beginning to the end. Great point. I think you're right. It does feel more natural. And like you said, the dialogue itself is really smart. So I think the dialogue, the way the characters are written and fleshed out, and the way the actors perform and play these characters, it really does keep things feeling kind of natural and organic. Everybody's got good chemistry. So things just kind of flow along, and the characters are believable. I mean, they're not like super realistic or deep, but they're believable as far as movies go. Yeah, um, I think so. Even uh, like the, the, the like minor love story here between the two characters, like it's so interesting that Kevin Bacon's character is someone who doesn't necessarily like this uh, type of person, um, but then like they're bonding throughout the film. Like it never felt like very forced. It was like more like there was the pogo stick uh, scene or like the scene where her pants get pulled off. They're just like very charming uh, little uh, sequences that kind of just built uh, their. Uh, their relationship versus like something more like heavy-handed or like some cheesy like deep conversation or something. Yeah, and um, to your point, there's a scene where he asks her what they should do now, and she's like, "I don't know. Why do you keep asking me?" And it's <laughs> yeah. just kind of interesting because he's always dated women who both he and Earl regard as not very smart, <laughs> right. and here he is like asking her like, "What do we do now?" So. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of setting you up along the way, like right. this is this is what their relationship is like and how it's different from from oh, Val's past relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's that really cool. I think the characters are. I mean, that's clearly the movie's biggest strength to me. The characters are so charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like a really likable movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel like so many movies you see, like you can't like find a character to grab into, and then here you've got a whole cast of like pretty uh, decent people that were like pretty, pretty entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's like the type of characters I want to watch and it's what I want their arcs to look like, right. their character arcs. Yeah, and what was like the the, the kill count here? Was it, uh, it's got to be pretty minimal, like um, mostly like off-screen kills with like the construction workers and the two like uh, people from the city who we don't see get killed or the farmer in the beginning. I didn't feel like once you met a whole bunch of the characters, like maybe like one or two of them died. I guess like Walter. Yeah, right? yeah, Chang, and I think one of the other ones dies. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so you don't really have to say goodbye to anyone you really are a huge fan of or know super well. Yeah, that surprised me. I was, I was thinking like I was kind of setting myself up like, oh man, who's which one of these are we gonna lose and die? But um, that was that was, was kind of nice. Yeah, what are some of the weaknesses of the film? <laughs> I think uh, for me the biggest one was the monster design. Like I would have liked to see more uh, details, uh, especially because there, there's such a great conversation around like the ambiguity around what these monsters are like and where they came from. So they're already starting to get into some of the background and speculation, and they like figure out that they can't see but they can like hear underground. So I would have liked to see kind of more uh, work done to like build out the monsters a little bit more. I, I felt like they're a little bit underdeveloped and. Maybe at some times uh, look like sock puppets a little bit. Um, but that, that was the only big one I could think of. What, what about you? My biggest drawback to me was I think some of the action sequences and horror sequences, if you can call them out that, I know this movie isn't really meant to be super scary. I think they could have been a lot better. Like, yeah. I didn't find them super compelling. Um I don't know. I don't know if they weren't directed super well or if it's just the overall charming tone of the movie mm-hmm. that you don't feel like the stakes are super high. Um, but like the the scene where Bert and Reba's character are in their bunker just shooting all this firepower, firepower it just like wasn't that gripping to me and the sound design was kind of bad in it. it mm. I don't know. I just felt like all the scenes that were action-packed were kind of failing. I was more in it for the locals and their relationships with each other and the humor and the charm of it all. But, yeah, any scene where something big happened with the monsters felt a little less than it could have been to me. Still, They were still pretty good, but I was never like, wow, or... I can't think of a set piece where I'm like that. That was the moment in the movie for me. Right, like a, like a super tense or like a very like high suspense type of moment. Like uh, that 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 was kind of missing. That was missing, and even just a moment where like 
wow, that was impressive, or that was a good idea, or what a smart scene. That, that was kind of missing, too. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, the one scene that I thought was kind of smart was where uh, he ran out towards that tractor, and he finds himself like uh, surrounded, like there's a monster right by him. And at this point, we know that it can only go by sound. So he's staying really still, and it like can't find him. And then uh, they're like trying to like create that distraction, like she breaks the water thing. So I, I felt like that was kind of a smart sequence, and then, like kind of a tense, uh, intense uh, sequence. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying overall. Like, I mean, I, do you think part of it is that this all place it takes place like in the daytime, and like that's limiting some of the the scariness of any anything here? No, not to me. Like, and I don't even need it to be that scary, but just kind of more maybe suspenseful or um, edge of your seat or or big and thrilling. Like I think of the scene, this isn't that dissimilar from Jurassic Park with the T-Rex, right? You've got something where if you stand still, he can't really see you. And think about a scene where they really play on that, where he tells the kids to stand still and then he does the whole flare thing and the dinosaur keeps its eye on the flares. Oh, yeah. And then Jeff Goldblum's character tries to do the same thing, but he keeps moving. Like, that, I mean, that's a, it's tough to compare this to Jurassic Park, which I think is an incredible movie. But, like, that's a really cool example of something you can do within those bounds and with those rules that the movie has. Here you've got these rules that they hear your vibrations so they do some things like get on a roof or make sounds somewhere else to distract the things. But it just feels like there had to have been some other ways they could have capitalized on that to make a more gripping, thrilling set of scenes. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good comparison, too, because, uh, yeah, now, now that you're seeing Jurassic Park and there definitely scenes in there where, where they do that a lot better. And, you know, I think about in this film, like, you have that pogo stick uh or not, not the pogo stick, but where they're kind of like pole vaulting uh, because they know they're trapped by that uh, one monster there that's like surrounding them. Um, or yeah, when they're on the roofs. And yeah, I guess they were missing kind of like a level of uh, suspense that with different approach could have been hammered up a bit more. Yeah, yeah. But you've also kind of provided some counterpoints. You know, somebody who disagrees with me might say like, there's a girl on a pogo stick. They pole vault, pole vault. <laughs> God, I cannot speak tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they pour of art from boulder to boulder. Um, so, yeah, yeah those, well, I, those are good counterpoints. I, I think those are good sequences, but I also could have, like, it, in the light of, like, Jurassic Park, seen those done in different ways, to your point, which would have been uh, scarier. Because, uh, yeah, that, the editing of them is kind of, like, from a distance. Even the girl on the pogo stick, yeah, there's, like, a monster coming right at her. Um, but I'm not, yeah, I guess you don't entirely feel that. Um, yeah, you know, the way that's shot and directed it's not like he saves her just the moment before the thing gets the pogo stick there's a weird pause there right um so i think some of that might be the i don't know the direction and the screenwriting a bit but yeah some of that stuff just doesn't hit as hard as it could sure and i wonder if that's more like the dna or like the the tone of the movie where it's like i think it does lean more into action than like horror right Um, yeah an adventure probably um, but yeah, that would, that would have been cool to see if they, if they dialed that, those aspects up a bit more. I, I thought the lack of horror was more around the creature effects, but I, I think you're right. Like some camera work and some different sequencing and pacing or, uh, you know, uh, paying, diving deeper into like some of these sequences could have made it a lot more interesting. Agreed. Agreed. Um, that's kind of all I've got on this movie. I think this might end up being one of our shorter episodes. How about you? Anything else you want to say? Um, no, did a part of this seem like the game Hot Lava? <laughs> Is that how that works? Yeah, it kind of did. <laughs> like, don't touch the ground. <laughs> it's, that's basically the concept taken to a, a, a motion picture script level. Yeah, yeah. I think the writers were, I can't remember the circumstances, if they were out somewhere doing a documentary or something, but they were on a boulder, and one of them said to the other, imagine if there was something that would, wouldn't let us off this rock. Oh, yeah. And that's how they fleshed out the idea for the script so you're not wrong it's essentially just a game of hot lava right right you ever, you ever read that story by stephen king the raft uh no oh okay they've they've been um uh, yeah no, I, I know they've been like even like the ruins to some degree i feel like you've seen this plot uh in other films too right like where people are kind of stuck on a 
certain thing and it's like they got to figure out like a safe way to get out and stuff uh right? okay gotcha yeah i mean i think the i've never read that story but i'm pretty sure that must have been the uh what the raft sequence from uh creep show 2 was based on one of the segments is i think is called the raft oh and they're like uh, there's something it's in the like water. a floating mass in the water and they're trying to like stay on the dock or the raft or whatever yeah exactly exactly yeah that's what I'm yeah sure. that's a pretty cool uh segment from creep show 2 Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, Creepshow 2 is pretty solid. Oh, cool. We'll have to hit that up. Yeah, or maybe we should redo our Creepshow episode at some point. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot. The lost episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's do that one. Uh, no, that, that's all I got. All right, well, zero to five severed tentacles. What do you give this movie? Uh, you know, I, I, I go back to your popcorn movie thing, and it, it was just a, a lot of fun. So I, I think I'd go with four uh, severed tentacles. Was that was that with the rating scale? That is the scale, and that is my rating as well, four out of five. Even though it's got those flaws, like I said, where I think it could have even been more thrilling, it's just super likable, really popcorny, entertaining monster, big-budget B-movie. Mm-hmm. The acting and the, the chemistry... And the charm of the characters is really what puts this one over the line into four territory for me. Yeah, yeah. No, those, those are all great things. I, I love how, like, the plot, like, kind of keeps evolving. The monsters evolve. Like, everything just keeps, has, like, a great momentum in this film, too, which I, I think is great. Yeah, the pacing is pretty good. Yep, yep. It's, it's a great one. Yeah, and I think it's runtime as well. It's 96 minutes, so just a little over an hour and a half. So, yeah, yeah it keeps things moving. Yeah, yeah, smart film. Cool. All right, everybody. Well, that has been our episode on Tremors. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, If you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop down. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. The links are right there. That's where we announce what we're going to cover next week. Uh, If you want to talk to us and other horror movie fans and listeners of the show, you can click on the Discord link from that social link drop down and start talking to some people about movies. We've got a great community there on Discord. Uh, If you liked the episode, you can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show. Our cover art is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her stuff by going to Etsy.com and searching Amy Mae Popart. Or you can go to Etsy.com and search Horror Movie Club Coasters and find a coaster set that she designed for us uh, and buy some merch that helps the show too. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, we've got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Horror Movie Club. For a buck a month, you can gain access to some bonus content. Going to be putting some more stuff out there in October, finally, for you guys. Um, I think that's it. So until next time, uh, learn to walk a fine line between planning and thinking on your feet. And maybe you'll land a brainy seismologist who wears too much sunscreen. <laughs> or is doing cocaine. <laughs> right. <laughs>